Welcome to the daily objective. Uh, we are um, starting late, later than we advertise that we will. Uh, and also this is gonna be a short episode. So um, uh, yeah, I think the first comment that, that I see in the chat is equal to reality saying, uh, I think the list will be shorter with what isn't wrong with effective uh, altruism rather than what is wrong. But this is gonna be shorter just because we're, we don't have time. We have the communication bootcamp uh, coming up in uh, 30 minutes. Uh, so yeah, we, we could call this the briefly objective, but that name is already taken. We don't want to get sued. So uh, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm here with Don Watkins in person in London. So uh, those of you who are wondering if uh, you know it's worth a trip to, to London, uh, Don is here. Uh, Don, you're doing an event on Friday with Yaron and Nikos on stage together for the first time ever, the three of you, right? That's right. And that event is titled uh, Effective Egoism. So today we're going to talk about kind of the other side of that and, um, you know, what, what is wrong with, uh, yeah, effective altruism, which is a very popular movement. And uh, that's my first question to you. You know, why is that movement so popular and why, um, yeah, wh what is the appeal? It's... Um, it seems to have an appeal to people who are not thinking, you know, I need to sacrifice myself uh, in the same sense that, you know, somebody who's super religious would think. So what is the appeal there and, and uh, why are people so attracted to it? I mean, the first thing is like, what is it? And it's really a movement that was inspired by Peter Singer, who's a very influential philosopher, deeply altruistic in the sense of calling for radical sacrifice. And what effective altruism basically does is it takes that as a given, like, obviously, we want to do the most good, which means we want to be placing the needs of others above our own welfare, but we actually want to do it scientifically and rationally. And so we're going to try to say, measure what are the most effective sacrifices that you can make, what are the most effective charities you can donate to. And I wouldn't call it popular exactly, I would call it trendy that it's really appealing to a certain type of person. It's appealing, I think, to some better people who gen genuinely wanna do good. And so when they see people making sacrifices that don't seem to be creating any positive benefit, they're like, that's stupid, let's do one, that, you know, let's do things that actually have a positive benefit. Um, and then it appeals, I think, in a more negative way to people who just want unearned moral superiority and so by being on the bandwagon of effective altruism, you get to feel like, okay, I really take morality seriously when actually you don't take a rational morality seriously at all. Yeah. And with the former, I think with the people who do think, okay, you know, the, the altruism that we're used to is not effective and let's think, of, they're still thinking about uh, morality as uh, yeah, you do have to ultimately, it is only about helping others, which is uh, pretty much a consensus view. Uh, so yeah, why, why I, I would, from what you said, I'm kind of guessing those are the people you think we have a better chance of reaching, uh, right? I mean, I never have a good sense of exactly, the people you have a better chance of reaching are the most rational ones. And rational people though can go really, really wrong. So like the scale of the mistake is not necessarily an illustration, uh, at least up to a certain point, um, that like they're not, that they're not persuadable. But the, I mean, what I think about is interesting in the movement is you get people who take morality seriously because, I mean, with altruism, most people just pay it lip service, right? But these are people who 
at least by and large, are like trying to take it seriously. And so part of what you can appeal to them is like, look, if you're really concerned with morality, and some of these people really are, like, shouldn't we like question the basic assumption that what you're doing is moral? And they don't really question it. Like that's in effect taken for taken for granted, or at least they kind of give kind of a very, you know, how would you put it? Like a suggestion of an argument, right? Like, well, hey, it would be wrong to let a dr drowning child starve. So shouldn't you devote your life to giving up everything important in your life for the sake of drowning children across the world and starving children across the world? Like that's the extent of their actual argument. Um, there was something else I was going to uh, say about it, but I went blank. So we well, I do have a follow up for that, but uh, later on, I, I um, so yeah, what is it that objectivists are doing wrong? Let's put it as bluntly as possible. Like what, why aren't we reaching uh, at least the numbers that effective altruism is reaching? Well, I mean, I think there's different ways to go about answering that. So on the one, you could like say, well, altruism is really popular. So if you start a movement that says, let's make it effective, that's a lot easier than saying, hey, let's take something that's unpopular and make that effective, right? Like, so in that sense, they have like the competitive advantage of they're just basically a variation on what everybody already agrees with. Um, but the other thing that you can say is that in effect, what has to happen for objectivism to win is that people need to get what the real alternatives are. So effective altruism in a certain way is really helpful marketing for us. The thing that makes altruism so palatable to people is that its demands seem pretty easy, right? It's like, oh, shouldn't you give to charity sometimes? And shouldn't you be nice to people? Well, yeah, well then, then how can you be selfish? And what the effective altruists have said is exactly what objectivists have been saying altruism means, or at least part of what altruism means, um, which is no, like, like if you take morality seriously, it demands radical sacrifice. You should be picking a job, not because it makes you happy, but because it will give you more money to give away to charity. And you shouldn't be giving just a few, you know, a thousand dollars. Like you should be giving, um, I mean, really they say you should be giving until you would lose as much as the people that you're helping would gain. Um, but at minimum, you should be tithing, like things like that. You should be looking for opportunities to give a kidney away to a stranger. Like these are the kinds of demands for sacrifice. And it helps them paint. They're calling for radical sacrifice. We're calling for radical happiness and, and then explaining what the alternatives look like. And, um, oh, I remembered again what I was going to say, but it was the, oh, the, um, Part of the issue is that, like, you know, we're talking about altruism not being effective, and that's what the effective altruists are rebelling against. But in the end, I think there's a real naivety at best to the effective altruist because no, altruism is actually super effective at what it actually wants, which is sacrifice, the destruction of values, control over other people. And that's why. I don't think effective altruism will ever be really popular. I think it will be trendy, um, but to be popular, you, you ignore the actual appeal of altruism, which is this kind of very easy to earn uh, moral superiority. And um, the fact that it's what it's really aiming at doing is 
destruction, sacrifice, loss. And so like, the re, a re, here's a real example of altruism that like, this is what you actually see. It's not people filling out like, like questionnaires to figure out what the best charity is. It's I'm sick. I'm going to make my, I want my daughter to take care of me, even if it means putting her life on hold. And if she doesn't do it, I'm going to say, don't you care about your family? Are you so selfish? That's altruism. That's really what it's aiming at and how it functions. Um, actually, I'm going to leave my next question to the end and I'm going to ask that follow-up because today uh, you were speaking to teachers at a school and um, part of why we're late. And, uh, and one of them, after like an hour of you uh, in conversation uh, with the founder of the school, um, I think it was the first question you were asked was something to the effect of, so uh, do you think you should uh, uh, tell your kids to litter or not to litter in the street? Um, so what, what do you take away from, I guess, that and interactions like that in terms of, um, you know, what, what the journey looks like for us if we want to, you know, I mean, that, that is, again, like they, they heard you talk for an hour and they still thought, or at least that teacher thought, this is what you mean by um, kind of selfishness or self-interest. Well, look, if we're going to be successful, we have to respect the problem. And, the, and, and part of the issue is that um, when people hear new ideas, the way that they process them is try to relate them to their existing categories. And so if you have a new philosophy, part of what you're doing is saying, no, all your categories or many of your categories are wrong. And it takes a lot, even if a person's trying their best to get a, that they need to recategorize and then to get like, what kind of categories are you using? Indeed, the woman who was interviewing me, like she said, like, I think 12 times during the interview, you're weird. And she wasn't trying to insult, but she couldn't figure out. She's like, well, this guy sounds like a libertarian, but he's talking about morality all the time. Like what is going on here? And then another uh, person asked a question that amounted to, um, well, like, don't you think we need moral judgment? And you think everybody should just be able to do what they want? And like you said, I'd been talking for an hour mostly about like morality and how you need to do what's rational and there's kind of universal moral principles that should be governing you. But he couldn't get past, well, politically, I think people should be free. And that must mean you think it's okay to do whatever you feel like. And the idea that, no, there's like, there's political, what you're politically free to do and what is morally right to do are different, though not completely unrelated. Like that's just so outside of, how they're kind of carving up and categorizing reality. And so you're demanding a lot from a person, but what you can do in a first talk like that is they should feel a little uncomfortable that maybe my categories don't make a lot of sense. And maybe there's something to what this guy's talking about, but I don't really know exactly what that is. And then what your hope is, is that they continue to explore. And part of exploring is, you know, actually engaging with Ayn Rand where okay, now I really am starting to get more and more of how she's kind of seeing the world. Yeah, well, when we were on the train uh, from, from that talk uh, to here, I was texting a uh, senior figure in the objectivist movement and saying, uh, texting him about, about this uh, talk. And I said, I don't think, I'm sure nobody was sold in the room, but I would be surprised if not at least several of those teachers will read Rand uh, just because of, uh, of today's talk. So. Uh, yeah, as I see it, that's a, that's a massive step forward. And uh, so my last question, because we do have to cut it short today, 
my last question is about people who would like to see uh, you know objectivism become more popular, but are not considering a career as a as a as an intellectual. So if you are considering a career as an intellectual, uh, you know, sign up to the Ayn Rand University. Don is one of the people you will be engaging with. Certainly, if you, uh, you know, go forward with uh, with your um, ambition to become an intellectual. Uh, but yeah, somebody who you know is happy with their with their career, whatever it is, uh, but does want to do something other than, of course, supporting the Ayn Rand Center UK. Uh, what what can they do? I mean, the fundamental thing that I recommend to people is like become a really good person, become really successful in whatever field you are, really knowledgeable in whatever field you're interested in, and then recommend to people when you're in a position to recommend. So it's, you know, if you're John Allison and you're really successful in a bank and people say, oh, you know, what's your secret sauce? And you say, well, objectivism has been my competitive advantage. Like that does a lot, even if John's not going to write, though he did end up writing books, like even he's not going to write a book on objectivism, right? Um, and it's the same thing where it's like, hey, um, I, uh, you said some interesting things, you know, when we're just at dinner discussing energy. Oh, yeah, I learned them from Alex Epstein. You should read this book. It's there's professionals out there who are doing like the full persuasive work. But if you're in a position where you have enough respect from somebody, at least in a delimited realm, to be in a position where your recommendations mean something to them, then you can magnify the power of those persuasive resources without you yourself having to be able to kind of recreate it from scratch. Yeah, yeah, I think Alex's work is, is uh, maybe an example of, uh, you know, people who don't choose a career similar to Alex's, but do have talking points as, as uh, one of his uh, um, emails uh, you know, is, is titled uh, Energy Talking Points. So yeah, uh, I think there, there's also a, a book coming out soon that uh, might help people communicate uh, um, yeah, ideas from objectivism. So look out for that. And I will read that we do have a couple of super chats. Sorry, I wasn't able to read the whole chat during the show. So I'm sure I missed some, uh, some things there, but uh, Ali says, here's uh, $2 of sacrifice because y'all are doing uh, amazing work. Thank you. And Bonnie says or asks, uh, altruism rests on the choice of moral standard. Uh, what's a good strategy to change the standard to match reality? Well, I mean, this is a point about how persuasion works. Um, and the, the so the, the long version of it is uh, I'm going to be giving a course on persuasion for Ayn Rand University this year. It is an advanced course. So if you're not already enrolled, you can still take it as an auditor. Um, but one of the basic principles is, uh, so if you think about what Alex Epstein does, he uses a common sense framework about, hey, let's be pro-human and look at all the alternatives carefully to make good energy choices. Well, that works when people will agree with your framework once stated, but with something like altruism, we can state our framework, but people disagree with it. And so the question is, how do you change a framework when even when it's made explicit, people disagree with you on framework? And the core thing that you have to do is show that it leads to contradictions and it leads to destruction. And that therefore you have a clarifying framework that leads to something inspiring. And that is the kind of shift that you have to make and you have to be able to explain. And so if you think about what Ayn Rand does in Atlas Shrugged, for instance, right? 
you get, she talks about like the contradictions and altruism and how it doesn't even make, it's not even a coherent kind of idea. If you try to figure out, wait, if I'm supposed to sacrifice for others, but I'm an other to them, like how it leads to all these crazy dead ends in thinking. And then it leads to mass destruction. That is all the evils in the world are kind of fundamentally rooted in this ideology. And then she provides a clarifying um, intellectual moral framework and an inspiring moral framework. And so that's in the end what you have to do in order to get people to reject uh, uh, altruism. Well, that's what we will continue to try to do here. And uh, Apollo Zeus with a last minute super chat says battle of the ideas. We are actually going to Battle of Ideas, which is a weekend-long event here in London. So if you are in London, uh, I don't know if Daniel can put, can put the link in the chat now, but uh, there is a, a discount that we have for um, our viewers. And uh, and if you're in London, also join us on Friday uh, for Effective Egoism with Don, uh, Yaron, and Nikos. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Tomorrow we will be uh, going live at 6 or one or two minutes late, not uh, 30 minutes late. Uh, and yeah, if you are in London and you're an ARCUK member, you have 13 minutes to get to the world headquarters for the communication bootcamp. So thanks again, everybody, and see you tomorrow.